0: Love a good fright? Stream your fears with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and acclaimed exclusives like Creepshow and Slasher, Flesh and Blood, experience what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series covers the horror spectrum meaning there's something for every type of horror thriller and supernatural fan available ad free and on the platforms you're already on sign up today at shutter.com shutter so good it's scary
1: there's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere podcasts can make you money and spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast you could literally record your first episode today Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S P R E A K E R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network.
2: The Real-Time Crime Podcast is for true fans of true crime. Join Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp for an iHeartRadio original podcast dedicated to armchair detectives. Embark on a quest to unravel unsolved mysteries and delve into current criminal trials in real time.
3: Why do I obsess over true crime? It's because I need to know every detail because they say that the devil's in the details.
2: Listen to Real-Time Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm trying
4: to reach um, Sharon Cummings.
5: Who's calling?
4: Um, my name is Katherine Townsend, and I'm actually working on a podcast for iHeartMedia, and we're, we're covering. Hi. Well, there you have it. Okay. We called Sharon Cummings. She was the jailer who was working the night that Maitreese went missing. Obviously, she doesn't want to talk about Maitreese these days. But at the time when Mitrice went missing, she did give several interviews. She told the Los Angeles Times that after Mitrice was released, she was given a phone and made several calls. Cummings told the paper that she did not listen to Mitrice's conversations, but she said she did have discussions with her about topics including gospel music and karma. Steve Whitmore, the LASD community information officer, talked about Cummings' statement in a press conference. Cummings said that she encouraged Mitrice to stay the night and told her that she could have breakfast in the morning before leaving. She said that Mitrice seemed to waver for a moment and said, maybe I'll stay. But then, Mitrice told Cummings that she had changed her mind. She wanted to leave. Cummings told Eyewitness News in a 2009 interview, when I found out she didn't have a ride, I asked her, why don't you stay? It's kind of dark and a bit cool. You don't have a jacket. I knew she lived out in LA and didn't know the area, but she said she didn't want to spend the night in jail and she was hooking up with some friends. So Maitreese walked out the side door of the police station. One of the main criticisms that has been leveled at the Lost Hills Sheriff Station is the fact that the officers should have recognized that Maitrice was in a fragile mental state Mitrice's family believed that all evidence points to the fact that she should have been taken to a hospital, not a jail cell. But in later depositions, the officers denied that Mitrice was behaving strangely. They said that Mitrice passed a field sobriety test and that she seemed to be absolutely fine. So their decision to release her in the middle of the night was the right call. So is it possible that the officers did not realize that Mitrice was having some sort of mental breakdown? I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Helen Gone. everyone who encountered Mitrice in the 24-hour period before she disappeared agreed. Something was wrong with her. This included her mother, her aunt, Rhonda, her former professor, and her boss. It also included the Joffrey staff and the diners at the restaurant who interacted with Mitrice, and then later gave their statements to police. Police officers who were put in a position of determining someone's mental health and deciding whether to hold someone against their will without violating their civil rights, are in a tough position. So we wanted to know, what were the police officers' options at that point? In the state of California, arrested individuals who are considered to be a danger to themselves or others due to signs of mental illness can be subject to involuntary psychiatric evaluation and commitment for up to 72 hours. This is called A 5150 hold. And Maitrece's family is adamant that a 5150 hold is exactly what should have happened. Prior to her arrest, Maitrece did not have an official mental health diagnosis. But based on the way that she was acting, people close to her believed she was undiagnosed bipolar and could be experiencing some type of manic episode. Now, making an armchair diagnosis, especially in hindsight, can be dicey. We know that Mitrice was exhibiting symptoms, including possible hallucinations, because we know that she told one of the diners that a character on a soap opera had been talking to her. Also, delusional thinking, based on a lot of the comments that she made, and potentially hypersexuality, when she offered to settle her bill for sex. If she was experiencing a bipolar episode, Mitrice was in a very vulnerable position. Early on, Police speculated that Maitrice could have died of suicide, particularly because she appeared to be suffering some type of mental distress. But they also said in their depositions that she did not exhibit behavior that they believe qualified her for a 5150 hold. They insisted that having made that determination, they had no legal reason to hold her and were correct in their decision to release her after midnight. So police have stated both that Maitrice was in such mental distress that she could have run off a cliff and plunged to her death, and that she seemed to be absolutely fine. So which is it? To get answers, we have to dive into the hard evidence that we do have from the night that Maitrice went missing, including the messages sent between the officers and their radio communication records. First, there's the arresting officer, Armando Lurero, he said in a deposition that when he went to Joffrey's, he was responding to a possible 390, which is the code that would indicate a drunk person, for a black female unable to pay her bill. But the defrauding an innkeeper charge and the small amount of pot that Maitreese had on her were misdemeanor citations. And his fellow officer on the scene, Frank Brower, testified that Maitreese passed a field sobriety test So if she wasn't under the influence and he believed that she was fine, why did Lurero make the decision to impound Maitrice's car, hardbook her, and take her into custody? After Lurero and his fellow officers were finished at Joffrey's, he transported Maitrice to the station in his cruiser. This was around 8.45 p.m. In a later deposition, Lurero said that he believed that he arrived with Maitrice at the station at around 9.50 p.m., Once they arrived, jailer Sharon Cummings fingerprinted Maitrece and took her photograph to assist in the booking process. Lorero said he never discussed any concerns with Maitrece's mental state, either to Sharon or to his watch sergeant, when he went in to discuss the probable cause statement, basically, laying out the reasons for the arrest. He said in a deposition that he had observed Maitrice for any potential signs of her needing to be detained for a 5150 mental health evaluation. And apparently, he determined that this was not necessary. But an email mentioned in that deposition could provide some clues to his motive. The email, which Mike Kessler quoted in his Los Angeles Magazine story, was from one of Lorero's Lost Hills colleagues. Lieutenant Scott Chu. Kessler wrote, quote, deputies had considered letting Richardson go with a citation, but decided to arrest her in part because witnesses had said she'd been acting strangely, end quote. Chu said in the email that Lorero told him that he'd made the decision to hard book Maitrice at the station because she was acting in a bizarre manner. And he said that he wanted to, quote, make sure that she was all right, end quote. Now, this was in direct contradiction to Lorero's testimony. And many people also questioned what was transmitted over the police messaging system. It later emerged that Lorero and John McKay were assigned to take the call, but Brower had assigned himself after seeing the details. Why did they need three officers to respond to a call of a young woman who couldn't pay a restaurant tab? John McKay, one of the officers on the scene, said that at 10.13 p.m., he sent a message to another officer that read, Citizen's Arrest. He got a message back that read, Why didn't you help a sister out? So officially, the police's line was that they never believed that Mitrice was showing signs of mental instability. Remember Kenneth, the valet? He was the first person who encountered Mitrice at Joffrey's that night and the first one to notice that she seemed to be acting off. He spoke to the deputies who came to Joffrey's, and afterwards, they provided him with a written statement summarizing what he said. But when he took a closer look, he noticed that some of the descriptions in the statement didn't match what he said. So he corrected those statements, crossing some of it out and making additions in his own handwriting. The details in the rewritten statement are jarring. For example, the typewritten statement reads: At no time on the night of September 16th or during the early morning hours of September 17th, 2009, did I ever speak to any of the LASD deputies that arrived or any other law enforcement personnel. But Kenneth crossed that part out. He wrote, I spoke to two of the LASD deputies who were on the scene. I asked what happened and or what's wrong with her. One deputy replied, She's a ding. I told the other deputy that it seemed like she was off her medication or had too much medication. Dr. Rhonda Hampton spent years reading and obsessing over every single minute detail of the communications among these officers many times. She saw that the police made reference to Mitrice as a ding and that Kenneth the valet also said he'd overheard the police officers calling her a ding. At first, she said she didn't realize the significance of this information. Obviously, she thought it was short for a dingbat, but she later learned that in law enforcement circles, it's shorthand for someone who probably needs a 5150 psychiatric evaluation. And she discovered that by happenstance.
6: My dumb ass didn't even know what a ding was. I thought, what I, I mean a dingbat? Well, I knew it meant somebody was dingy, right? Yeah. But I didn't realize it was like an official thing that they called people who had, were 5150 from the sheriff's department, right? So me and my daughter, I'm taking a crochet class at Michael's, right? The person who was giving the, the class was a sheriff. And I don't know, she said something about either giving crochet classes to him. Somehow she used the word ding while she was telling us about this crochet thing. And I was like, ding? I was like, why do you say Ding? And then she goes, oh, that's what we call people who need to be on a 5150. And that, and then we have a dean ward that's in the jail. Wow. Yeah. So that's how I found that out. Wow. I'm like, so when they said ding, they know damn well that that's an official, well, they're not supposed to say it, but you call somebody a dean, then you know they asked me to be 5150. So who, I mean, they get back to the station. They decide for whatever reason not
4: to, um, not to 5150 her. And why did they, did they ever tell you why they
6: did that? Well, what they will tell you is that she was acting perfectly normal. So you've got somebody at the scene who passes the pill sobriety test, who talking about she's from Mars, reading people's palms, crazy as fuck, and you call her a dink, and then you send your email to your captain and say she's see but she was perfectly fine? Make no damn sense.
4: Once police found out that Mitrice had no outstanding warrants, and crucially having apparently made the determination that she was not a 5150 risk, Mitrice was released. Cummings said that jailers are trained to contact their watch sergeant or watch commander if the detainees show signs of mental instability. But she said that Mitrice was calm, so this didn't happen. And one of the biggest challenges of diagnosing mental health issues is the fact that someone experiencing an episode can seem lucid one minute and unstable the next. And if the arresting officers did not tell Cummings about Mitrice's bizarre behavior, she may not have known that there could be potential mental health issues. Reading between the lines of the comments she's made in interviews, it does seem that Cummings was nervous about letting Mitrice leave in the middle of the night. But she seemed to think that there was nothing more that she could do. Once again, it seems that at every turn, Mitrice slipped through the cracks.
0: Love a good fright? Start streaming and screaming with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and critically acclaimed exclusives, discover what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series cover the entire horror spectrum meaning there's something for every type of fan come experience highly anticipated new releases like Superhost, Seance starring Suki Waterhouse and The Boulet Brothers Dracula plus don't miss out on Creepshow, Slasher, Flesh and Blood and other must-see Shutter exclusives you won't find anywhere else available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on sign up today at shutter.com
3: shutter so good it's scary this episode is sponsored by Maidenhome High quality handcrafted furniture for the modern home. Maiden Home brings you thoughtfully designed custom furniture handcrafted in North Carolina. This region is home to some of the world's most talented artisans who are experts in woodworking, upholstery, and finishing. By partnering directly with these family owned workrooms, Maiden Home gives you access to the world's finest craftsmanship without the retail markup. From sofas and sectionals to tables and beds, You'll find beautiful heirloom quality pieces that will last for years. And with over 60 fabrics and leathers and a variety of wood finishes to choose from, you can create a piece custom to your design style. Enjoy complimentary white glove delivery on all orders, a lifetime warranty, and easy returns within 30 days. To browse the latest collection and order free swatches, visit madeinhome.com. That's maidenhome.com. That's M A I D E N H O M E.com to start building your custom piece today.
4: We're back at Joffrey's, the restaurant where my trees's night began on the night she disappeared. And this time, we're with reporter Cece Woods. I've got my mole, which I still don't even know who my
7: mole is. But my mole, actually, I don't, I have no idea. But I do have to tell you, so... He's like, just show him that picture of you in the bikini on Instagram. That'll that'll work. In 2014,
4: Cece started the local Malibu. She's currently editor-in-chief of that publication. She also founded the magazine Malibu 90265. She describes herself as an activist and reporter.
7: They treat me like I'm a nobody, and I really don't care. It's okay, because guess what? I have multiple projects going on that are all national, global, whatever you want them to be, and they're all involving you, and yet they think I'm just this little blondie from Malibu, which is okay, go ahead, I don't give a fuck.
4: She's in your face and sometimes says outrageous things, but she is getting taken seriously, and she's broken some huge stories.
7: Yeah, I love being underestimated. I fucking love it. And that's what happened with the Malibu Creek State Park shootings. I was underestimated. I was this little blonde Malibu Barbie to them and blah 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 whatever. I don't give a fuck.
4: Over the years, she has developed a tight-knit working relationship with the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department. She has a close relationship with a lot of the officers, but she's not afraid to hold them accountable, so much so that she says her reputation is on the line if they ever pull any bullshit. I'm like, my reputation is tied to you guys. Don't you ever
7: motherfucking do this shit on my watch okay whatever they did and and I mean that like I'm willing to lose my life over this shit like I, my kids can take care of themselves but you're not doing this on my watch in my community with me supporting you guys fuck that shit I don't want this shit happening in my community A, that, that, that's like number one and knowing that There's a bunch of fucking rogue cops getting away with abuse of power at my local station. Like,
4: nothing makes me angrier. She's also on a first-name basis with the sheriff of Los Angeles County, Alex Villanueva. He's the most powerful law enforcement official in the largest county in the country, but CeCe's texts always get priority. Despite an atmosphere that can make it challenging for law enforcement to have relationships with journalists, Cece has several sources inside the department. During our meeting, she gets a call from one of them.
7: It's true. I love
4: you. I always say that in this job, a lot of the most productive information comes out at happy hour. And she clearly believes in the power of building relationships. Okay, bye. Cece's also seen the dark side of the sheriff's station and exposed a lot of their dirty laundry, including in one of the biggest cases that she's worked on so far the Malibu Creek State Park shootings. Cece said that crime was never her area of expertise until true crime came to her neighborhood. She said she was terrified when her neighbors started talking about multiple shootings in Malibu and a possible serial killer on the loose one that she says the police were not warning the public about.
7: I exposed the Malibu Creek State Park shootings, and that was by accident. I was just in public safety, reporting, doing my thing, and then all of a sudden this shooting happens, and I'm like, "Um, wow, what the fuck? There's a murder happening, and I don't even know how to deal with the murder because murder's not my wheelhouse. Like, I'm not, like... I don't do that shit. It was just instinctual. Like, people just started emailing me and sending me information. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to write about this. How am I going to write about this? I had to sit down and think about how I'm going to write about murder. And so I sat down and I kind of figured it out. And in the beginning, I was a real smartass. And I kind of want to go back to being smartass, I have to tell you. Because you know what? I like smartass. Alex would say, tell Cece to write an article. I need a laugh, okay? Because <laughs> I would just make fun of the homicide. I would make fun of everybody.
4: When 32-year-old father of two, Tristan Baudet was found shot to death in his tent on June 22, 2018, the case made international headlines. Then, in October 2018, a drifter named Anthony Rauta was arrested for a parole violation. According to the local Malibu, he was arrested for possession of a weapon authorities say is consistent with and or matching the murder weapon that killed Tristan Baudet. But Cece says she doesn't believe that Rouda is responsible for all of the shootings. And she says that there's been a law enforcement cover-up dating back to 2016. She reported in the paper that several shootings took place before Baudet was shot, and that, quote, "...the shootings were purposely hidden from the public," by state parks officials and the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department under the direction of former Sheriff McDonald, who was complicit in the cover-up, end quote. Eventually, Rauta was charged with Bodette's murder and with 10 other counts of attempted murder and five counts of burglary. But Cece continues to question every piece of information that's released by the Sheriff's Department. She says that her sources tell her there's no ballistics match to the alleged murder weapon. She says that there continues to be unexplained gunfire in Malibu Creek State Park, and that she believes a killer may still be out there. Cece found out about Mitrice's case after one of her readers saw Rhonda and Chip's documentary and forwarded it to Cece. Then she met Rhonda, and working together, they started to dig deeper into Mitrice's case. After
7: all of the investigating that I've done and the Hundreds of thousands of man hours that I've logged in with Rhonda at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, we get up and we call each other. It doesn't matter what time it is. Like, that's the reality. Her and I are, like, on the same speed. She is a cyber stalker in extraordinaire. And what she does is she just goes and digs shit and she sends it right to me. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do with it? Do we write about it? Do we sit on it? What do we do? And so, um, what I believe happened was that as we sit at Joffrey's right now, and as I talked to the owner of Joffrey's not too long ago, probably about a week ago, um, they felt that she was um, in the best hands for public safety when the cops came. They should have called the MET team, which is the mental evaluation team. They did not.
4: The police have admitted that mistakes were made on the night that Mitrice went missing. But through their investigation, CeCe and Rhonda began to believe that something much more sinister than just a missed call on a mental health evaluation went on at the station. CeCe has written several exposés on alleged law enforcement cover-ups. Earlier this year, Cece broke the story of a young woman who was sexually assaulted at a Malibu condominium. In the early morning hours of February 8th, a transient walked in an unlocked door and allegedly fondled the victim. But when the incident was reported to police, officers reportedly took 45 minutes to arrive at the scene and basically concluded that the alleged victim may have had too much to drink. Cece heard about the story. She helped the victim track down surveillance footage which clearly showed a man entering her home. A few days later, 34-year-old Matthew Fairchild was arrested and charged with intent to commit a sex crime. According to the Malibu Times, quote, the matter was festering until a Malibu tabloid publisher, C.C. Woods, reportedly sent the photos and a complaint to Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who has been known to frequently consult with Woods on Malibu issues, end quote. After C.C.'s article came out, The Times received complaints from residents who were outraged that police did not immediately warn them of potential danger or try to track down the suspect. And then Lost Hills Captain Matthew Vanderhork was demoted and relieved of duty.
7: When the the sexual predator happened, when I got the captain, because he fucked up, I literally texted the captain and I said, I want to know who those motherfucking deputies are. I want to come into your station... I want to look them in the motherfucking face and I want to let them fucking know, you will never do this in my community again. And I am not kidding. I was, I, I, I was so angry. I was re- ready to take the bar at Olo, yank it and throw it against the wall when the community member came to me and told me what had
4: happened. Cece has also written an expose about former Lost Hills captain Tom Martin. Martin was accused of sexual assault. And the alleged victim says that the incident took place just months before Maitrece ended up at Lost Hill Station. In no way does Cece's experience prove that something more sinister happened to Maitrece at the Lost Hill Station, but it does paint a compelling picture of the Sheriff's Department at the time. Basically, Cece labels the era at the Lost Hill Station, before Sheriff Villanueva took office, the Wild West. And she describes the environment there. Zero Oversight, populated with rogue cops. She talked about this when we talked on the phone with her a few weeks before our in-person meeting.
1: It's a station that has been known for rogue cop behavior. And I am very happy to report that since we had a change in captain, which I was instrumental in um, exposing uh, some of the things this captain was not Taken care of, um, which allows these cops to get in that rogue cop way. And, you know, if you don't have the right leadership, they're just going to be what they want. Now they know that they, especially now after this whole George Floyd and and the civil uprising, but even before this happened, um, being able to expose this behavior on social media and the relationships that I've been able to uh, nurture uh, with the sheriff's department and with the sheriff has really made a serious difference in our
4: community and and at the station. Now, some of this may sound like a movie plot, but the LASD has been involved in scandals that make the movie LA Confidential look like a documentary. In 2013, Following a massive investigation, federal officials indicted 18 current and former LASD deputies, lieutenants, and sergeants. The charges included corruption, obstruction of justice, and fabrication of police reports. According to the Office of Independent Review report, allegations against LASD officers included rape, kidnapping, and smuggling heroin into a jail cell. This rogue cop situation... Is what she thinks happened to my trees. Um, I mean, obviously, people at the restaurant were telling them, you know, she's acting strange, and
1: they knew yeah. that she might have mental health issues. But yet, then later they said she didn't,
4: which was it was very strange.
1: No, that was that was, I mean, for lack of a better wor- word, absolute nonsense. And uh, and well, here's the thing: the thing is, is if you are not well-versed in mental health issues, especially uh, like bipolar or or any of those issues. And if you don't really recognize it and you're not trained, then you know what? You might make those mistakes, which is another reason why, you know, the Sheriff's Department has the mental health evaluation team. And um, so, again, I'm going to go back to the road cop thing. And that was especially rampant at that time. I mean, they just did whatever they wanted, and it was clear by the radio call and how they responded to it and talking about doing a femme search over the radio. It's like,
4: you know, what kind of behavior is that? There was a female jailer already on duty at the station. So why would they need to refer to searching my trees? Cece believed that these communications could have been some type of sinister shorthand.
1: They said that, um, hey, you know, time to do a FEM search. We should do a FEM search. So they talked about doing a FEM search on my trees. And um, so to me, that's just alerting the troops um, hey, we got a really good looking woman coming in. You know, might be time for a FEM search. And, you know, I mean, who says that? Really? Who
4: says that over the radio? Cece isn't the only reporter who has made this observation about Lost Hills. Scott Johnson wrote about the Lost Hills station being under investigation in a 2016 article in The Hollywood Reporter. Johnson quoted a source who said that the station was just like the departed. The story quotes a woman who claims that certain deputies would do favors for her and her ex-husband, a former American Gladiator star. But after a bitter split, she said that the deputies maintained improper personal relationships with her ex-husband and that they refused to look into charges of alleged child abuse and rape. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department's internal affairs investigators were taking a serious look at the allegations, which was, quote, raising new questions about a police station that has been embroiled in controversy numerous times in recent years." End quote. One source told The Hollywood Reporter, you can't throw a stone without hitting a rat there. There's rats on every side, criminals, cops, everyone, and they're all ratting on each other. We've mentioned Mel Gibson, who was arrested in 2006 on drunk driving charges, getting a ride back to his car as an example of celebrity favoritism. But he's also evidence of something else, police cover-up. Mel went on an anti-Semitic rant against the arresting officer, who was Jewish. Then, LASD managers buried the deputy's report, which led to accusations that they were giving the actor preferential treatment. The report was leaked to TMZ, and the deputy was fired. After his attorney claimed that the LASD fired him in retaliation for leaking the information, he was reinstated. We've tried calling the police department for comment. They've denied our multiple requests.
1: Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure.
2: Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change. Like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia
6: nut i taste let me take one more
2: sir mm. yeah i thought so 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more
5: is that shakespeare
2: nope it's geico uh,
4: Ah, yeah, yeah yeah that's shakespeare from one of his unpublished works oh it be not for awakening nay giveth thou the berries for 15
6: minutes could save you 15 percent or more
2: Geico, great service without all the drama.
4: After they got to the station, Mitrice was put into a holding cell with a woman named Shermaine Henderson. Our producer, Gabby, was able to speak to her on the phone.
5: What happened? I don't remember how I ended up in jail, but I ended up being arrested and going to jail, but they released me. Uh Uh-huh. From a station, and I remember walking, and I remember walking down the, that hill. Wow, wow, disgrace.
4: great. Shermaine had been deposed from Mitrice's parents' civil suit. And according to Shermaine's deposition, Mitrice was talking to her, and for the most part, she seemed to be in a good mood, chatting in a friendly and animated fashion, as she had with the diners at Joffrey's. According to the deposition, Mitrice asked Shermaine if she wanted to get high and at one point was so disruptive that Shermaine asked to be moved to another cell. But when we spoke to Shermaine, what she told us contradicts her deposition. She also says that Maitrese seemed to be behaving normally while they were in the cell together. And Shermaine denies the fact that she said she wanted to be moved to avoid Maitrese.
5: Well, but I remember, I remember she, I remember she had that, that, that good curly hair. I remember, and she was so talkative, she was a slender girl um but i i re- i remember her like it was yesterday mm-hmm. and she was perfectly normal she was perfectly normal sweetheart and i did not, i did not ask to get moved to another cell or nothing
4: obviously it's been 10 years since this all happened and witness memory is always something to be taken into account but shermaine is emphatic when she says that my was behaving pretty normally
5: we had a good conversation. She did I, I didn't get no bad aura or nothing like no, no no nothing nothing no like nothing bad from her nothing like. And she was she was she was cool. And then it's like when I seen that shit on the news, it was like and then it was like I was trying to contact like, but it was it was very hard to get in contact with people like I say like I was there with her like you know let them know that she was okay like her last moments like like and she was in that cell she was all right.
4: She said that she's been hoping to talk to more people about the investigation.
5: So you said Somebody followed up with me, and I've been I've been really wanting to speak with someone about that night because she was normal. It was nothing. She she was okay. Uh-huh. She was okay. She was, it, it was nothing wrong where we was in to cell together. And she was she was she was very like she was very like like you know like very polite like you know she was very talkative. She wasn't like isolating herself or nothing. She was like okay.
3: So are you saying that they also released you in the middle of the night?
5: Yes, I got released in the middle of the night too. Awesome. No, it's, it's it's no way for you to get nowhere. And I had to I had to walk. I was in Mal I was in Malibu, and um, it's like it's like it was no so, it was no way to get on, no ride no nothing. It was so they was so like like assholes like, and it's like as far as us being a woman, you know, like and they are releasing us at that time of night. It's like you know it wasn't okay.
4: What would clarify a lot of this discussion over Maitreese's behavior is if there was evidence that we could look back on. And the thing is, there is. There's video of Maitreese in her cell, two hours on four different cameras, eight hours total, that the LASD has refused to release for 10 years, despite lawsuits and endless complaints by Rhonda and Maitreese's family. And the question remains, why won't they release the tape? Next time on Helen Gone.
6: And then that's when they started out, when there's no video. It's like, really? That makes no sense. I was sitting right next to Captain Martin when Sheriff Baca asked him that question. You don't have any video
5: of my trees in jail. And he turned beet red, I mean, really beet red, and just said, well, I do have this tape in my desk.
7: My community needs this you need to set it right. Come out here, tell the people you are reopening the investigation. Do
4: the right thing. I'm Catherine Townsend, and this is Hell and Gone. Hell and Gone is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It's written and narrated by me, Katherine Townsend. Our producers are Gabby Watts, Taylor Church, and James Morrison. Music is by Ben Salee. Mix is by Tune Welders. Our executive producers are Brandon Barr, Elsie Crowley, and Brian Lavin. Special thanks to Chip Croft for use of footage from his documentary, Boss Compassion.
3: School of Humans. Support for this podcast is
7: from Williams. We make clean energy happen. Williams is the first North American midstream company to establish a climate commitment and an immediate approach to a sustainable future. We've released our 2020 sustainability report to track progress on our ESG goals, which includes a near-term emissions reduction target of 56% by 2030. We're leveraging our natural gas-focused strategy to fight climate change today and build a clean energy economy tomorrow. Our infrastructure and commitment are transforming the future of energy. Learn more at Williams.com.
2: Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold
1: my hand. You hold my hand.
0: Yay! Learn about adopting a teen from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
2: The Real-Time Crime Podcast is for true fans of true crime. Join Leah Lamar and Teddy Mellencamp for an iHeartRadio original podcast dedicated to armchair detectives. Embark on a quest to unravel unsolved mysteries and delve into current criminal trials in real time.
3: Why do I obsess over true crime? It's because I need to know every detail because they say that the devil's in the details.
2: Listen to Real-Time Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.